You just never know what's going to happen with that music, do you? Well, guys, welcome. Welcome to the quest of new life. I, I mean, I feel like that's the beginning of a movie trailer right there. You know what I'm saying? Like we should all, like, here's your assignment today. Here's where we're going. Uh, my name's Jeff. I am going to be your guide today, all right? Uh, I am the lead pastor here at the church, and it's my privilege just to serve as one of the pastors on staff. Uh, we're going to start a brand new teaching series, and we're going to be looking at the book of Judges, okay? Now, how many of you guys, uh, just look, it's, it's okay, it's super cool, right? Uh, here at Kearney, uh, North Platte or Ogallala, it, it, it's okay to answer this question. How many of you guys have never really read the entire book of Judges? Let me see your hand, okay? Just come on, it, it's okay, it's all right. Don't worry about it, there's no, there's no judgment here. Um, you're going, to be, you're going to be completely blown away. Completely blown away. Okay, in fact, I would just say this to you. If you are a new believer, you're, you're new in your faith, right? Be careful with the book of Judges. It, it will mess you up, all right? It, it will twist you into knots that will be good if you're willing to undo them, okay? But there is some whacked out stuff in the book of Judges, but what I want you to do, if you take the challenge and you start reading through the book of Judges during this teaching series, what I want you to do is promise me something, okay? Everybody in the room, promise me. Here's how you'll read the book. You'll first find the book in the Old Testament, then you'll flip all the way to the very last verse, very last page, very last words. Read those first. Yeah, I know, you're kind of like, well, hold on, man, that kind of like gives away the whole movie in a way, right? Yeah, but it's going to help you understand why crazy, crazy whacked out things happen. And the reason is at the very end of the book, it says this, that people did what was right in their own eyes. As soon as you get that context, that filter on, that people did what was right in their own eyes, now you read the whole book and you're like, Yep, that's stupid mankind right there. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Right, dumb, dumb, dumb. Can't believe they did that again. What? They're doing it? What? They're going to do it again. What? Are you serious? Another cycle. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. They're going to do it again and again? When are they going to learn? Oh, they're doing what's right in their own eyes. See, it really helps a lot when you can just put those first few words in front of every crazy thing you run across in the book of Judges. Well, talking about those guys, they went on a lot of cycles, a lot of cycles. I want to talk about that today with you, all right? I want to talk about some cycles with you today. Like, there's some good cycles in life. I'm not talking about a bicycle. I'm talking about cycles. Let me give you an, an illustration of what I mean by that. Many of you, if I said to you, is a forest fire bad or is a forest fire good, you would put it into the context of, well, does it destroy homes and lives? Okay, that's the bad part of it. Okay, does it destroy infrastructure? Yeah, that's the bad part of it. But is it good overall? You know, science actually has now studied this and come, came to the conclusion that for a forest to be healthy, listen to this, it has to experience intense fire every 50 to 100 years. And every 50 to 100 years, all of the old growth gets burnt off and when the intense heat comes through, it takes the cones that have the seeds in them and it opens them up and they fall to the ground. And within 30 days or so, you start to see the germination of the new trees being formed. Give it, give it another 15 or 20 years and hikers that are walking through that very forest will never know that there had ever been a forest fire there before. 
This is just a cycle that has been put into motion. And I would say to you, God has put that into motion. We don't want the forest fire. When the forest fire is on, we, we hear about it all throughout the news. It's threatening communities. Yes, that is true. We, we like to live right up next to these kinds of things, okay? So is that the forest fault or is that our fault? It's our fault, okay? Come on. Let's just put it in the right, the right frame of mind. That's a cycle. That's kind of what I'm talking about. How about recycling? How many of you guys recycle? Anybody recycle at all? You recycle? Okay. Okay, good. So you recycle. Let's say plastic, okay? You recycle your plastic. Your plastic goes in the recycle bin. It goes off to the processing plant. This plastics, you know, get separated. Uh, they get cleaned, right? They get chopped back up into little itsy-bitsy pellets. They get all boxed back up. They get shipped back off to another factory that then gets used to build another plastic thing that you use that ends up in the recycling bin that goes back and on and on and on. I know I'm simplifying a very complex process, but it's a cycle, and many of you are a part of it. If you live in Nebraska, right, some, of us, some people watch us online right now that don't live in Nebraska, okay? Uh, it's a great place to live, by the way, but it's not for everyone. <laughs> Just want to make that clear, all right? Um, but we have seasons. We get four seasons here, and they cycle, they cycle, and part of living in Nebraska, you have to enjoy the four, the four seasons as they cycle around. Let me just ask right now, how many of you guys are ready for the next season to come? Come on, let me hear you. Right. How many of you guys are ready for next winter to come? Oh, we got a few. Okay, good. I'm one of you, people. I'm one of you. Okay, so yeah, we, we have that. In your everyday life. There are cycles that you could talk about. Let me give you another one that happens in all of your lives, okay? In all of your lives, you sleep, you wake, you eat, you work, and you play. Now, in the green room, they thought that I should have added one more, and you poop. And I said to them, this is not, this is not youth group, right? I told them that. I told them that. But nevertheless, it is a cycle, right? You sleep, you wake, you eat, you work, you play. Repeat it all again. That's the cycle that you live in. The water has a cycle. It evaporates, forms into a cloud. Oversimplification, again, the wind blows it. It snows, it rains, it drizzles, it falls onto the ground, it works its way into creeks and into rivers, and after a long while, it makes its way back into the oceans, or it goes into underground aquifers, which Nebraska is really blessed by. A harvest cycle, we live in Nebraska. Come on, farmers, you should have been saying, like, out loud, what about us? We love you, by the way. And there is an incredible harvest cycle, okay? So there's a lot, these are all good cycles, by the way. Good cycles. Now, if you like, if you don't like mundane, then you probably are like, well, where's the next cycle, right? And you can go find another cycle. So there's a lot of them. But then there's the bad cycles. Bad cycles of life. Okay, I had a friend tell me a couple days ago, he goes, look, here's one of the bad cycles of life, Jeff. You start in diapers, and most likely you're going to end in diapers. <laughs> and I was like, that is a bad cycle. Right, but it's the truth. It's just the truth. There's a diet cycle. Are anybody? Is any? Are any of you like me, where you have a diet cycle and you also have your diet? You have your diet clothes that go with your diet cycle, meaning like, you know, these are my skinny jeans, but now I'm in my fat boy jeans, 
but I'm going to hang on to those because I'm probably cycling back to them at some point, right? And then when you cycle back here, you hang on to the fat boy jeans because you figure sooner or later I'm back at those guys again. And there's this cycle, there's this cycle that seems like it happens at times with some of our lives. If you're anything like me, it kind of up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, right? Or Bill Murray, Bill Murray on Groundhog Day. I mean, if you're, if you're my age, at least, maybe 10 years younger, 10 years older, you remember the movie Groundhog Day, where he gets caught in the day, and he just keeps living it over and over and over again. Does anybody remember that movie at all? Okay, all right. Thank you. This doesn't want to be my, myself. If you guys didn't remember it, I guarantee everybody in Ogallala would have remembered it. There's these cycles that happen, and there's spiritual cycles that take place as well. Sin leads to chaos. That's a cycle. But repentance leads then to deliverance and blessing. That's a cycle. Right? But these cycles, you know, when they get, they get lived out kind of independently of one another. The problem happens when we, we can keep combining these cycles of sin that leads to chaos, that results in repentance, that leads to blessing, that leads to sin, that leads to chaos, that leads to repentance, that leads to blessing. And it, the problem is that many of us, we get caught in that cycle and we start going around and around and around the merry-go-round. And that cycle can really be described as this, apostasy, which is the abandonment of God's word in your life. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to live by God's command in my life in this area or that area, or a total abandonment of God altogether. Just a sheer walking away from the authority and the leadership of Jesus in our lives that leads to oppression. It leads to the consequences of our actions, right? We're now living in the filth of our sin. We're living in the filth of our man-made leadership, Look where we've got ourselves. That all of a sudden leads to this moment of waking up, our eyes being opened again in our distress as we start crying back out to God. God, will you deliver us? Will you set us free? Right? It's in that moment that repentance is happening that all of a sudden we, we end up in deliverance, a season of blessing, a season of closeness to God. And guys, there is no better place to watch this cycle be lived out and to learn from it so that we don't become the people that live it ourselves, there's no better place than to look at the Israelites in the book of Judges. Let me give you a little background before we look at some scripture. The people, they had been delivered by God from Egypt. Okay, This was under the leadership of Moses. But then Moses dies and Joshua becomes the next leader and he leads them into the promised land. They're given a mission when they go into the promised land. The mission is this, drive out all of the enemies that are living in the promised land. This is your land, God's going, I'm giving it to the people. But then Joshua dies, and the people start then, at this moment, they start to pull away and to fall away from God spiritually altogether. From one generation to the next. Moses dies, Joshua is now the young leader, Joshua lives out his leadership to about 110 years old. If, if, I'm, not, if, if I'm incorrect, please email, email me and remind me, right? But I think it's 110 years old, and then he dies, and this is what the Bible says happens next, Judges 2. After that generation died, Joshua's generation, okay, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. Seriously? 
the generation that crosses the river, that walks into this new land that God's giving them, experiences all that God has for them, the very next generation, their children, now they don't remember the mighty things that the Lord has done for them. Guys, this is a great signal here that the cycle of apostasy, the cycle of sin is starting and the Israelites, they rode the roller coaster of apostasy to oppression, to distress, to deliverance. They rode it all over the place. I want to give you an example of how it's lived out, even in this passage of Scripture found in the very next chapter, Judges chapter 3. T- take a look at this and help me see where you see op- apostasy, where you see oppression, distress, and where you see deliverance. Help me see it, okay? The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot uh, about the Lord their God and they serve the images of Baal and the Astropoles. What's going on right here? Apostasy and sin, right? That's what's going on right here. What happens, what happens next? We're in verse seven, watch it, verse eight. Then the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to King Cushan Rishathaim of Aram Naharim. That's a mouthful. And the Israelites served Cushan Rishathaim for how many years? Eight years they lived in what? Oppression. Turn to your neighbor and tell them oppression. Okay? They lived in oppression. Okay? What happens in the next verse? Verse 9. But when the people, after eight years of living in oppression, how long are you willing to live in the filth of your sin? Longer than you would say right now. That's the honest truth. You're willing to put up with it much longer than we ought to. We put up with the consequences of it because of our pride a lot longer than we ought to. Eight years, then when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, what's happening right here? Distress. It's a distress moment when they're crying out in repentance. Here's what happens, comma, verse nine continues, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. Look at the faithfulness of God. Isn't it interesting that even while we are far from God, the faithfulness of God is still chasing us? and that he's listening for repentance, and then there he is. He raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Othniel. Now listen to me. Eight years they lived in oppression. They cry out to, out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up one? It, it, does that mean that at that moment, he goes, look, here's what's gonna happen. Man and a woman, they're gonna love each other, they're gonna have a baby, they're going to name him Othniel. He's going to be born. He's going to grow up till he's the age of a leader. <clears throat> and then he's going to deliver you. Is that what that means? No, here's what it means. God was already preparing a person, even while they were in their sin. Guys, even while we are in our sin, the faithfulness of God is working on your behalf. He had already prepared a guy. He's like, I'm going to release his leadership. So his name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz, okay? Joshua and Caleb, if you know anything about this whole story, they were partners, partners in this whole mission. So Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz, he's the son of him, right? The spirit of the Lord came upon him and he became Israel's judge. He went to war against King Cushan Rishathaim of Aram and the Lord gave Othniel victory over him. So there was peace in the land for how long? So what do you experience here? Deliverance. Deliverance. But what verse, what verse are we in right now? We're in verse 11. It's a period. Watch what happens. Continue verse 11. 
Then Othniel, son of Kenaz, he did what? He died. Verse 12, read it with me. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Seriously? For real? Back to apostasy. Back to sin again. Do you guys ever feel like that's your life sometimes? Does it feel like you're on kind of this, this, what I'm referring to as the spiritual merry-go-round? Where it just spins in this cycle? Where you're close to God, right? And then you're far from God. You're close to God and then... Like you're living in the filth of your sin and then you're repenting to God and then you're close to God and then you're far from God. Does it feel like that? Because if it does, you probably are spinning around on this merry-go-round to the point where you're sick and you're wanting to get off. And some people give up altogether at that moment. And this spiritual merry-go-round of doing that over and over and over again, here's what it does to you spiritually. It ends up making you numb to the things of God where almost like you're going through the motions and you're not even feeling God anymore. You're questioning whether true repentance has even come off of your lips. And there is a breakthrough that's needed. Maybe you've drifted all the way to the point where you become cynical and defeated. Guys, I know these feelings. This was my life. I remember the spiritual merry-go-round. I remember the moments of trying to get close to God and then drifting from him and trying to get close to him and letting sin take me away and getting close to him and letting sin separate me from God. That's what the Bible says, by the way. God's not the one changing. We're the ones drifting from him. Remember that. He's not changing. We're moving away from him. Sin separates us from God. I remember living that way until one day I pointed my finger up to heaven. And I said, God, you, you must not exist. I got cynical. I felt defeated. I blamed it on him instead of owning it in myself. Until, until I did that, I really didn't know how bad life could get. I'm telling you, when you point your finger to heaven, you say, God, you don't exist. God goes, oh, really? Let me show you. You, you, you thought it was messed up? Let me just let you lead it for a while. And man, it gets messed up bad. Like It goes downhill faster than you could ever imagine. So let me be clear today. I'm speaking to those of you who are caught in this cycle of, of apostasy, okay? But I'm also speaking to those who feel this trapped by sin. Here's the good news, guys, today. The good news is this. The cycle of sin and apostasy was broken in my life, and that same cycle can be broken in your life today. And that's what I want to drive home. I want to drive home today that it can be broken in your life today. Right? But first we have to know why. Why do we get ourselves into these moments? What are some of the things that we should be looking for, you know, that are the traps that could get us into these cycles that then, you know, kind of take us down a, a dark, dark path and a dark road? What do these cycles really look like that, you know, we're close to God, but now we're far from God and we're back in our sin? The first cycle would be this, that, when, you know, when we, when we live in a blessed and a comfortable place with God, that we tend to take on more than we ought to. We tend to overload ourselves because we're feeling good about ourselves. We're feeling confident about ourselves. And so we're, we're watching good things happen. And so we go, well, let's just take on more. And let's take on more leadership and let's take on more responsibility. And let's keep stretching ourselves. And we get stretched thin, thinner and thinner and thinner until finally the weight of all of that just collapses in on us. The stress of it collapses in on us. The depression of it collapses in on us. And the enemy's trick for anybody that has great leadership skills that are in the room today, is this, that when life's going really good, that you would take on more than you ought to. He loves that because he knows you can't maintain that pace. Guys, I know this one. 
This is part of my temptation. Okay? We can all speak from our own weak points if you choose to unveil them for a moment. I know this one. I, I know the temptation of wanting to take on more than you ought to. But today I want to talk to you about, in this, in this thought, I want to talk to you about the principle of capacity. That we all have a different level of capacity that we've been given. Every single one of us. It doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you worse. It just means you've been given a level of capacity. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is the one who gave us this principle when he taught about the parable of a master who gave out bags of gold to different servants. And he says, hey, to one I'm going to give you five, to another one I'm going to give you two, to another I'm going to give you one. There's a capacity that the master saw, and he goes, I'm going to give you this because I think you can handle it. He goes away for a while, he comes back, and if you know the story, the one who had five turned it into ten. The one who had two turned it into? The one who had one turned it into? One. Who gets hammered out of the whole deal? The guy who only took the one, buried it in the ground and said, I didn't do anything with it because I know how shrewd you are. I didn't want to waste it. And he takes the one and he gave it to the guy who had the five, who now had the ten, who now has eleven. I find it interesting that God's talking, uh, Jesus is talking about the father and you and me as servants. And he goes, look, I'm giving all of you a different level of capacity. And the problem here arises when things are going really, really well. And you're looking at somebody else and you see how much capacity they have versus what capacity God's given you. And you want theirs. And so you take it on until it crushes you and it collapses you spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Others of you, you've been given you know, a couple of talents of capacity. And you're looking at someone who has five or ten talents of capacity, and you judge them and you criticize them for how in the world can they do that, right? They must be giving up something to gain something. But I'm just telling you that we're all created differently, and what we need to be doing is just carrying God-designed capacity for us in our lives. Here's the warning, right? When you take on more than your God-given capacity that you can handle, it brings out the worst in you. And that's when sin and apostasy starts. When we depend, because here's what happens. When you take on more than what you ought to, then self has to kick in, and you have to depend on self more than you depend on God. That's, that's when you get, hey, warning, warning, sin and apostasy cycle is getting ready to start. When you have to spend more time on the task and less time seeking God, warning, that's when the cycle of death is getting ready to start. Right? Um, when we comfort our stress, Here's what we do when we comfort stress. You get stressed out because you're carrying more than you ought to. Here's what we do. We comfort our stress with sinful desires. Warning, the cycle is getting ready to start. And then we finally, we just drift from God until we don't even recognize ourselves anymore. The cycle, we're deep into the cycle by then. So one of the ways that the cycle of death really starts in our lives is that when things are going really, really well, we get duped and we start taking on more than what God, our God-given capacity was given to carry. Here's another reason why we drift from God in the good days, back to a far away from God and into our sin. And that's because discipline is hard and sin is easy. Here's the lie, right? The lie is this, that discipline is easier for some than others. If you just thought that thought, that's a lie. Yeah, but Jeff, you don't know my grandfather. I don't need to know your grandfather. Because here's the truth. It's hard work for everyone. If you know somebody that's thoroughly disciplined, it's still hard work for them. Didn't this come easy? 
I don't think discipline is natural to the human body. Okay? It's something we have to fight against to establish clear discipline that allows us to become the men and the women that God really wants us to be. Okay? So it's hard for everyone. But discipline, guys, will help keep you on the spiritual trajectory that leads to the center of God's will for your life. And without it, you start to fall apart. You guys, you and me, we function best, by the way, when we're walking in the disciplines that God's convicted us of and we're consistent with those. As an example, look, when I work out, let me just tell you something about discipline. When I work out, here's what I do. I tend to think about eating better. Anybody else with me on that? When I don't work out, I tend to think about all of the junk food I can eat. Anybody with me on that? How many of you guys need to work out more? Okay, I'm just raising my hand. Okay. We'll eat better. I'm telling you, there's something about it. When you put in the energy then you, you want to reward yourself correctly. Let me just tell you about a good day of discipline for me. <clears throat> I, just thought, I was thinking about this and I thought, I'm just gonna write this down. There's a good day of discipline for me that brings the best out of Jeff Baker. Okay, you wanna find me on my best days? Find me on the days I went to bed on time. Okay, that starts the discipline right there. Right, you gotta turn the TV off, you gotta shut down the laptop, you gotta, whatever you're doing, you gotta go to bed on time for me. I, I, I tend to wake up more refreshed, right? I tend to kind of want to get out of bed and go make it happen. <clears throat> I, here's what I do. This is just me. I make my bed on my side. <laughs> because many times I might be waking up before Kim. And we have a European bed style uh, of, of blankets. If you've ever been in Europe at a lot of like different hotels, you'll notice that they, they, they set the blankets up in kind of like a separate blankets but on a king size bed and we really like that and so that's what we have and so I can make my, my bed with a comforter on my side. First thing, I jump out of bed, I make it look nice. I used to not do that but I've kind of grown to like, I like that. I, I like moving from there <clears throat> into the bathroom Jumping into the shower, getting ready. The shower wakes me up. If I don't get a shower in the morning, I'm not my best. Even if I took a shower the night before because I played hockey, I still have to have a shower in the morning. Anybody else with me on that one? Or am I just weird? Okay, I'm weird. All right. So I get back in the shower. But I come back out of the bathroom. And here's, what, here's a good day for me. All right? Now look, it might not be your day. It's, this is my day. This is my day. My clothes are laid out on the bed for me. Now, I didn't ever ask for that. Never have I ever demanded that. It's out of the sheer love of my wife that she doesn't want me to embarrass <laughs> myself or her. Okay? And, and so there they are, right? And I put, I put those on. And then I, I go straight from there. I grab my backpack. I go to the refrigerator. I pull out my protein shake, right? I jump in the car, uh, and I drink the protein shake from my house to the church, and if it's all done when I get to the church, that's a perfect timing, right? I walk in the door, I throw it away in the trash can right over here by door three every day. I say hi to the receptionist. Hey, how you doing? Wow, man, awesome. Good to see you today. Plop. Like, that's, that's the way that works. I go get some coffee. I sit down. I read my Bible. I spend some time in prayer. I clean out my emails. Now I'm ready for the day. That's me. I don't know what yours is. But that's me. If I do that, if I do that on a regular basis, I find that the rest of the day, I really kind of enjoy it. I actually find this, I'm more productive. But when I, when I slack on that, when my, when my discipline is off 
for a day, I'm less productive. Now string a few days together of not having discipline, and now I start drifting from my confidence, and I feel more defeated. So the truth is this, that a disciplined life, guys, is more likely to avoid the cycle of sin and apostasy. What are the disciplines God's asking you to put into your life? It could be as simple as make your bed, because you're going to feel more productive. Could be as simple as, I'm gonna spend time in prayer before I go to my emails. It could be any of those things. I don't know what it is for you. I'm just saying that discipline's hard, sin is easy. Follow the disciplines God's called you to. It has this ability to emotionally build confidence in you. Let me give you another one, that we forget the pain and the loss that came from our, from our past sin. When you forget the pain and the loss that came from the last time you went through the cycle, you're doomed to repeat the cycle again. I have a motto in my life. Never forget, never forget the life that Jesus saved you from, Jeff. Never forget it. I don't revel in it. I don't go back and rejoice in it. I don't necessarily like to go back and tell all the stories from it. I'm not trying to relive it. I'm just trying to say this. I never want to forget who Jeff Baker was when Jesus found him and delivered him from his wickedness. I don't want to forget that. Why? I tend to be more thankful to Jesus for what he's done in me. I tend to, less, I tend to you know, avoid that self-pride of look how far I've brought myself. Because I remember how quickly I could become that man again without Christ. I tend to extend more grace to people who are far from God. And I love them where they are. And I want to help them find the same freedom that I found. Why? Because I haven't forgot the smell of sin, the taste of sin. I haven't forgot it. But I'm not that guy anymore. And I'm thankful for the guy who Jesus has brought me out from. Right? But the enemy wants to trick you into thinking that, hey, look, you've conquered all of that. You've conquered all that past. You're stronger now. See how he likes to like make it about you when really it was all about what Christ had done? And then he gets your eyes back on self and off of the saving power of Jesus. When that begins to happen, <laughs> warning, the cycle of death is getting ready to start. When you forget who you were and you start to think that look how far you have come, look how strong you are now, warning, you're back to self and death is getting ready to take over. Lastly, though, I want you to look generationally with me, right? Generationally. Let's get our eyes off of self now. Let's start thinking about the next generation. Just like in, in the Israelites, it took one generation and then the people had forgotten the things of God. Why do we continue to see the cycle of sin and apostasy from generation to generation? And here's the big point. We neglect to teach our children God's ways. We just neglect to do it. When parents dabble in sin, our kids will take it to the extreme. It's kind of the idea, right? You give them an inch, they take a mile, right? And this is what was happening to the Israelites in Judges, guys. One generation died without instilling into the next generation the ways of God. This entire sin cycle could have been broken if they just would have listened, like I'm preaching to you today, if they just would have listened to their great, incredible leader, Moses. Moses, in some of his last words to Joshua and to the people, are found in Deuteronomy chapter 11. This is what he says to them. He says, look, guys, you must love the Lord your God and always obey his requirements, decrees, regulations, and commands. Keep in mind that I'm not talking now to your children Listen carefully to what he says. Keep in mind, I am not talking now to your children who have never experienced the discipline of the Lord your God or seen his greatness and his strong hand and powerful arm. They've never seen it. 
I'm not talking to them right now. Then he goes on, he says this, and I abbreviated it for you. They didn't see the miraculous signs and wonders that he performed, God performed in Egypt. Your children didn't see those. Your children, they didn't see what the Lord did to the armies of Egypt and to the horses and the chariots in the Red Sea. Verse five, one, three, four, five. Your children, they didn't see how the Lord cared for you in the wilderness. Skip verse six to verse seven. But you have seen the Lord perform all these mighty deeds with your own eyes. So you've seen it. Your children have it. I'm not talking to your children right now, Moses says. As the spiritual leader, I'm not the one responsible to tell them, he's basically saying. You know what that says to me? It's not my responsibility to spiritually guide your children. It's not my primary. It's your primary, parents. It's my secondary to remind you. It's my secondary to couple with you and to team up with you in our youth ministries and our children's ministries. The primary person that's supposed to be responsible to remind the next generation of what God's done is mom and dad. Look what Moses says then as he jumps ahead to verse 18, the same chapter. So he says this, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Verse 19, teach them to your children. He's talking to moms and dads. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Basically, it's this. Never stop reminding your children how amazing God is. Grandparents, never stop reminding your grandchildren how amazing God is. Tell them the stories of God. Don't just let them hear the stories from a, from a Sunday school teacher or from a children's you know, pastor or from a youth pastor or sitting in here as a teenager. You tell them. Tell them what God has done, what you've experienced God doing as well. That's what he says. So here's how it goes on. So write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children, listen, may flourish in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Listen to this. What was God's intent for the Israelites as they went into the promised land? It's right here. For them to do what? For them to do what? Flourish. What are they doing in the promised land? They've forgotten God, and they're, they're living out this cycle of apostasy and oppression and distress and then deliverance, and they're going to do it over and over and over again. But guys, that was not God's intent for them. And it all came down to moms and dads reminding their children, let me tell you, let me tell you what I experienced. Let me tell you what your grandparents lived through. Let me tell you why. The guidelines and the doorposts of our house, why we pray together, why we thank God for our meals together, why we trust God for healing, even though we're going to take you to the doctor right now, why we trust God for healing. Let me tell you about what God's done through our church. Let me tell you about what God's doing in Kingdom Builders. Let me tell you about how I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you about this story that's in the Bible. It's going to blow your mind away. So how do you break the cycle of sin and apostasy. Ready for this one? It's so simple. It's so simple. Other than moms and dads communicating to their kids correctly, all of us have to repent and turn back to God. That's how you break it. All of that today. To come down to this one point and tell you, look, if you're living trapped with sin, caught up in a cycle of apostasy today I'm telling you today listen to me 
The cycle can be broken today, but it starts with repentance to God. Repentance to God. This past series, we took time in solitude and you enjoyed it, and I'm glad. This series, we're not taking that same moment. So what I want you to do is this. I want you to create your own moment of, of solitude. Our altars at all of our campuses are for the hungry. Go to an altar, find a place, kneel down, right? Have your moment with God. God, what is it you're trying to say to me today? Use my prayer in just a second, in this first song that we sing, as a moment to say, God, what is it that you're trying to say to me? Let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you. But guys, take time to repent and allow your heart to move closer to God. Break the cycle. Break the cycle. Moms and dads, man, listen to me. Do everything that you can to break the cycle of one generation taking our sin to an extreme. Use this opportunity to speak into the life of your children. Use this opportunity. Yeah, you're going, hey, but they're older now. They're older now. It doesn't matter. You're still mom and dad. Speak into their life. You just can't command them to do anything now. But you can suggest it. Live it. Live it in front of them. Let them see you live it. Repent when you have to repent, but let's come to God today and let's repent to God and let's say, God, let my heart be close to you. Don't let anything separate me from you. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, today, today we come hungry for more of you. Today we come, God, and we know you're speaking to us today. We, we know what you're saying to us today, and that's this. Don't get prideful in yourself don't think that you're stronger than those guys who walked in the time when the book of Judges was written because we're not. Don't think that we're smarter than them because we're not. <clears throat> but humble ourselves. And we'll seek your ways, God. You will free us from sin. You will keep us from the cycle of death. And you'll, you'll bring deliverance to our life today. So Lord, today in this room, there are many who are listening to my voice in North Platte and in Ogallala and online, they need to repent and say, Jesus, I'm coming back, coming back to your heart. I'm coming back to your ways. I'm coming back to your laws. I'm coming back, and Lord, keep me close to you. Don't let me, don't let me walk around the tree again and fall right back into the same old junk and the same old stuff, Lord. I wanna, I wanna become a new man, a new woman of Christ. Lord, break our hearts for the things of God. Bring us back to your ways. And Jesus, may you be the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings of our personal lives, of our families, and of this church. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen.